0: You are listening to an Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. AGO Talks are recorded live in the gallery and feature artists, writers and curators exploring how art shapes and inspires us. Please visit us online at agionet
1: slash talks. Good evening and welcome. If you'd all like to take a seat... My name is Gillian McIntyre, and I coordinate the adult public programs here, and I'm absolutely thrilled this evening to be welcoming Hayden Herrera, who's going to talk to us about Frida Kahlo. And that exhibition is doing so well. People just seem to love it. So, Hayden Herrera is an art historian and biographer of Frida Kahlo. She's lectured widely, curated several exhibitions, taught Latin American art at New York University, and has awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship has been awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship. Her books include, include Frida, a biography of Frida Kahlo, Mary Frank, and Matisse, a portrait. She's working, working on a critical biography of Ashi Gorky and lives in New York City. So welcome her to give, to give us a talk, and there'll be a chance at the end to ask questions. So...
0: Good evening. I'm very happy to be here, and I think that exhibition of Frida and Diego is wonderful. I love the way it's paced, and you're all very lucky to have it in this city. Um, Just one little tiny correction. Um, The biography of Arshal Gorky was published many years ago, and I'm actually working on a biography of Isamu Noguchi, who was a great friend of Gorky's and um, was a lover of Frida Kahlo, so there's a kind of triangulation there. Anyway, um, but I I did spend, I don't know, eight years writing about Arshul Gorky. Um, I'm going to put this, get some light. Does that get in anybody's eyes? No. Um, Beginning in... 1926 when she painted her first self-portraits at the age of uh, 19 and ending with her death at the age of 47 in 1954 the Mexican painter Frida Kahlo produced some 66 self-portraits and about 80 paintings of other subjects mostly still lives and portraits of friends She painted herself so often in order to extend her being into the world and to make herself known. She certainly succeeded. In the last, I'd say, 35 years now, um, she has become an international cult figure. Um, Starting, I guess, in the late 70s, and it was thanks to feminism and multiculturalism, there were numerous books, films, Um, exhibitions focusing on Frida and what is called Frida mania prompted an industry restaurants were named after Frida her exotic native costumes inspired the fashion world and Frida Kahlo t-shirts jewelry refrigerator magnets calendars even computer mouse pads and beaded curtains turned up in shops everywhere I just want to show you the latest iteration of Frida mania. Um, Solomon Grinberg actually sent me this image. She's another Frida expert. And it's an, a Barbie doll. And there are actually several Frida Barbie dolls. So back to, let's go back to what's better. Um, And and maybe about 10 years ago, um, the United States Post Office came out with a Frida Kahlo stamp, which caused a furor because people objected, saying she wasn't American and she was a communist. Frida Frida Kahlo has captured the imaginations of scholars, artists, and movie stars. You probably all know that Madonna was longing to play Frida Kahlo. I had an interview with her in which she said, Frida was a drama queen and I can identify with that <laughs> and then you, maybe some of you have probably seen the film that uh, Miramax came out with and Selma Hayek played Frida I think she did a great job um, Selma Hayek also was equally passionate in her identification with Frida Kahlo as a cult figure, Frida Kahlo has taken on a kind of magical power. Her self-portraits have become objects to be revered like icons. But more important, Kahlo's work has been inspirational for a huge number of artists, especially women artists, and also for a whole generation of Mexican painters that emerged in the 1980s and who followed Frida Kahlo's lead in making art that was emphatically personal. So you have on the screen now the broken column from 1944. Uh, Kahlo painted herself cracked open. She painted herself... Wearing Christ's Crown of Thorns, that's from 1940. She painted herself hemorrhaging during a miscarriage in 1932 in Henry Ford Hospital, and anesthetized on a hospital trolley in Tree of Hope, 1946. Sleeping with a skeleton in the dream from 1940. Actually, you can see a photograph of that skeleton on top of her bed in this exhibition. Um, And always, Even when she is accompanied by her husband, the great muralist Diego Rivera, she looks fearfully alone. This is a painting from 1949 called Diego and I, and she's put the portrait of her husband on her forehead to show that she's thinking of him. On the um, right is Fulang Chang and I from 1937 on the, I'm sorry. On the left is Fu Lang Chang and I. On the right is a self-portrait with Small Monkey. It's in the show, it's from 1945. Her self-portraits are extraordinary for the honesty with which she faced the changes in herself through suffering and through age. In her direct and self-debunking manner, Frida Kahlo explained, I paint my own reality. The only thing I know is that I paint because I need to, and I paint whatever passes through my head, without any other consideration. Kahlo, I think, pierced so deeply into the personal that her message became universal. As a result, when we look at her self-portraits, we feel that Frida Kahlo is talking directly to us. Kahlo's small, meticulously painted self-portraits demand our attention by singling out the viewer as the person who must share Frida Kahlo's feelings. Yet, though the portraits are often shockingly self-revealing, they do not offer a full confession. Gripped by the magnetism of these paintings, we come to realize that Kahlo never lets down her mask of reserve. This withholding accounts in part for the strange energy that radiates from her self-portraits, It was this energy that prompted the surrealist poet and essayist Andre Breton, when he came to Mexico in 1938, to call Kahlo's work, quote, a ribbon around a bomb. The energy comes also from Frida Kahlo's intense need to confront and to communicate her pain. It was as if by putting the pain into a painted icon, she could free herself from it. I paint self-portraits, Kala once said, because I am so often alone and because I am the person I know best. She certainly had time to know herself. In 1925 when she was 18 the trolley, a trolley plowed into the bus that she was riding home from school and it almost killed her and it left her a partial invalid for life. And it was while recuperating that she began to paint. This is one of her This is her first self-portrait, it's from 1926, one year after the accident. Um, Her first self-portrait reveals that from the beginning, painting the image she saw in the mirror was both a self-exploration and a way of attaching people to her and of holding their love. It was in fact a gift for her boyfriend, her school friend and boyfriend, his name was Alejandro Gomez Arias, and She gave it to him at a moment that he was, this was after the accident, he was kind of pulling away from her and trying slightly to get out of the relationship. When she sent it to him, she wrote, I implore you to hang it in a low place where you can see it as if you were looking at me. Feeling isolated by illness, Frida Kahlo painted substitute Fridas that could withstand life's blows and confirm her fragile hold on life. This dialogue with herself produced, I think, some of the most original and courageous imagery of the 20th century. To alleviate her depression over a miscarriage in Detroit that happened in 1932, Frida Kahlo embarked on the project of painting every year of her life. And she didn't do it chronologically, but this is the first one. It's called My Birth. Um, And she began at the beginning with My Birth, which expressed her grief. I think it was prompted by her grief over losing, her the, the baby in in a miscarriage. Frida Kahlo was born in 1907 in Coyoacan, which is a southern s- suburb. Then it was sort of a suburb, but now it's part of Mexico City. Um, her father was a German uh, photographer who immigrated to Mexico in the late 19th century. He was very successful during the Porfirian Diaz uh, dictatorship, but then the revolution from 1910 to 20, he actually wasn't, didn't get very many jobs and they did not have a great deal of money. Um, Frida Kahlo's mother uh, was a Mexican of mixed Indian and Spanish descent. Frida Kahlo said of this painting, my birth, how, that it showed how I imagined I was born, but it is a very peculiar nativity in that everyone in it is dead. She said, my head is covered because coincidentally with the painting of my birth, my mother died. Uh, So it's pretty complex. The dead mother is therefore Frida and her mother, and the baby is thus Frida and Frida's miscarried child. After the 1932 miscarriage, uh, Frida Kahlo began to make paintings, and it was really at Rivera's advice, that resemble retablos. He thought she should make sort of retablos. They are these ex-votos, or they're votive paintings on tin, and you see they're very small. They're about the size of a lawyer's pad, usually. Um, Votive paintings on tin, and there's almost always an inscription in the bottom and in a scroll thanking the Virgin or Christ or a saint for the salvation that has taken place from some illness or disaster. Um, in my birth, Frida's my birth, the Virgin of Sorrow, as you see it above the bed, pierced by knives, takes the place of the holy image. And like a retablo, my birth is painted on a small sheet of tin, and it has a scroll, but the scroll was not, say, filled in because there was, in fact, no salvation, nothing to be grateful for. It is a painting of a double death. Um, And as in many of her paintings, Frida Kahlo chose this small-scale and kind of primitivistic style that she took from Retablos in order to distance her horrific subject matter. We're now going to 1937. This is a painting that she did called My Nurse in Eyes, one of the paintings that she liked best in her work. Um, Kahlo went on with the story of her life in My Nurse and I which shows her in the arms of her Indian wet nurse but even as she declares her pride in her native roots Kahlo's feeling of separation, thats a theme that's in almost all her work, is apparent in the nurse's unloving embrace. Again it's a little like a retablo, it's a small painting on tin and again the scroll is not filled in. Kahlo said that she painted her own head as an adult because it was she that remembered her Indian wet nurse and she gave her Indian wet nurse a Teotihuacan mask because she did not really remember her nurse's face. And for some reason, this is, it's a beautiful painting, but it's not Frida Kahlo found it a comforting painting. She said, I came out looking like such a little girl and she so strong and saturated with providence that it made me long to sleep. Yet I find the painting rather um, difficult and the nurse I think embodies a kind of cruel fatalism. She is not protective. In fact, Frida Kahlo has taken the traditional Madonna Caritas image of the Virgin Suckling Christ, um, and she's changed it in order to express her own feelings of loss and disconnection. That feeling of separation started very early. Kahlo said, My mother couldn't suckle me because 11 months after I was born, my sister Christina was born. I was fed by a nana whose breasts they washed every time I was going to suckle. In fact, they... They fired the nurse because she was an alcoholic, um, so she even lost her nurse and you know and her mother somewhat at that point. Um, so this is 1937. The next painting is from 1936. It's called "My Grandparents, My Parents, and I." You have Frida in the middle of her uh, house in Coyoacan in the patio, and it's she's painted her family tree with her parents very large right above her. It's sort of a child's idea of enormous parents. taken from their wedding photograph. And then on the left, the Mexican ancestors, and on the right, the German ancestors. Um, It's actually, and and she's in the uh, blue house in Coyoacan, which I'm just going to show you. There's a picture of the patio of the Blue House, just to show you how closely Frida Kahlo's paintings are related to her life. Um, It's actually a triple self-portrait. There's Frida about two, and then there's Frida's fetus on her mother's wedding dress. And then just below that is Frida's conception. The next painting, I would say, Oh, this one is not so much autobiographical, but this is a painting of her father. She did it in 1951, Don Guillermo Cano, she called it. She identified much more with her father than with her very Catholic mother. Um, and the father almost, he had six daughters, two by a former wife and, and four by Frida's mother. And he said, um, he almost treated Frida as though she was the boy he didn't have. He, he said, Frida is the most intelligent of my daughters. She is the most like me. Her father is a very eccentric guy, very interesting, very eccentric character. Her father uh, taught Frida Kahlo um, photography and actually she became almost like an assistant for him so that her first use of paintbrushes with this, those little tiny retouching, brushes for retouching photographs, um, I think it's interesting that on the right is a self-portrait photograph by her father. He did a number of self-portraits and he did a lot of portrait photography which I think is very important influence on Frida Kahlo's portraits and self-portraits. At the age of seven, Frida Kahlo contracted polio and she was in bed in her room for a very long time and her father was very close to her at that point and tried to cure her and gave her various sort of things to make her better. Um, This isolation that she felt, I think, uh, was something that stayed with Frida Kahlo for the rest of her life. Um, And then when she finally was able to go out and and walk... um, she went out, let's say, in the, in the plaza of Coyoacan and the other children yelled at her, Frida Kahlo pata de palo, which means Frida Kahlo pegged leg. And she therefore developed a sense of being different. Um, she was horribly embarrassed by her withered uh, right leg and she wore many pairs of socks to try to hide it. But her illness at seven was a huge bond with her father, who was in fact an epileptic and Frida Kahlo would accompany, accompany him on photography outings to make sure that his camera didn't get stolen if he had a epileptic fit. Kahlo said, my childhood was marvelous because although my father was a sick man, he had vertigos every month and a half, he was an immense example to me of tenderness, of work, photographer and also painter, and above all, for, of understanding for all my problems. These are two paintings from 1938, um, in which I think in both Frida was about four years old. And in both of them, she's kind of alone in a vast open space. On the left, the space is the Plaza of Coyoacan. On the right is just a a vast, empty uh, Mexican landscape. Um, In the one on the left, it's called Four Inhabitants of Mexico. Um, She is sort of behind these Mexican artifacts. On the, the one on the left, the, the Riveras had many uh, Huda's figures. their are papier-mâché figures wired with um, fireworks to be blown up on the Saturday before Easter. Then the middle, that pre-Columbian figure is a Nayarit, pregnant woman. Very interested in fertility always. Then, of course, the subject of death, the skeleton. That's the kind of little skeleton that you could this is a big one, but you, they usually are these little clay skeletons that children dangle on the Day of the Dead in Mexico. Then, of course, Frida had that huge skeleton on her, uh, the canopy of her bed. And then all way back on the right is a little straw rider. These are the kinds of uh, popular art or pre, and also pre-Columbian artifacts that Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera collected um, and that you can see in the Frida Kahlo Museum. I think in both cases the great emptiness of space creates a feeling of estrangement. Um, Girl with Death Mask on the, on the right, I think, may be, have something to do with her memory of having had polio as a child. The yellow flower is associated with death in Mexico. In most of Frida Kahlo's self-portraits, she is immobilized, cut off from her surroundings, and alone. She is disconnected from everyone except the object of her gaze, which is both us, the viewer, and Kahlo herself, since looking in the mirror and at her self-portraits in progress made Kahlo her own chief spectator. In 1922, Frida entered the National Preparatory School in Mexico City. It was probably the best school in Mexico. Um, it's in the middle of Mexico City, and it was a center of ferment in the post revolutionary years. The revolution ended in 1920, and in 1921, after returning from a long time in Europe, um, Diego Rivera began his first mural in the Preparatorias uh, uh, Theater. And Frida Kahlo was very much of a tomboy. That's a photograph of her about that time. Um, Nevertheless, she developed a huge attraction to Diego Rivera, and she loved to make mischief about him, and she, in fact, soaped the steps that he had to climb in order to get to paint this mural, hoping that he would fall, but being a kind of graceful, lumbering elephant, he did not fall. Um, She horrified her school friends by telling them, quote, "'My ambition in life is to have a child by Diego Rivera, "'and I'm going to tell him so someday.' Then after three years in the Preparatoria came that terrible accident in 1925. Her spine was broken in three places. Her um, right leg was broken and a metal handrail pierced her pelvis. This is a Reptablo that probably pre-existed and Frida took it and changed it to make it an image of her own accident. Again, you have the Madonna of Sorrows up there, and her parents, this time the scroll is filled in, it's Frida Kahlo's parents thanking the Virgin for having saved her daughter, their daughter. Um, Frida Kahlo was, the doctors practically didn't bother with her because they thought she was going to die, um, and she wrote to Alejandro, in this hospital, death dances around my bed at night. It really continued to dance around her bed for the rest of her life, and her life was a slow battle, the long battle against disintegration. She had something like 30 surgical operations during her lifetime. But the accident did make her an artist. She was, as she put it, bored as hell in bed, and she needed a way to help support her family. Her first paintings, and there are two of them here, it's the same self portrait from 1926 that you saw before. And this on the right is a portrait of her sister Christina, the one that's 11 months younger than her. It's from 1928. Um, It's really, in a way, by the time she painted Christina, she had pretty much recuperated and could walk and was very, very lively, led a very lively life. Um, And so it's really the difference between night and day. Um, in 1928 Frida Kahlo took her first some of her early paintings to show to Diego Rivera who was at work in the Ministry of Education in Mexico City he admired the paintings and some of you may know he then the courtship began he very much admired Frida and when she became involved with Diego Rivera Frida Kahlo's Art changed radically. This is her second self-portrait. I'll just go back so you can okay look at the first one on the left and then the second one. Here she is, uh, a contemporary Mexican girl, not a sort of. She called that other portrait your Botticelli to to her Alejandra. Um, contemporary Mexican girl in cheap Mexican clothes, the kind you can buy in the market. She's sort of a mestiza. She's wearing colonial-type earrings and pre-Columbian jade necklace. What's happened here is that Frida Kahlo has espoused the ethic of Mexicanidad or Mexicanism that um, was shared with most artists and intellectuals in Mexico after the revolution. Everything Mexican, everything indigenous was revered. After she came to be uh, Diego Rivera's girlfriend first, Um, she began wearing Tijuana costumes. He loved, Diego Rivera felt that Mexican women should wear Mexican costumes. And the costume from the Isthmus of Tehuantepec was Frida's favorite. She wore many others also, um, because the Tejuanas have a a reputation of being very, very strong women. Um, but she also used these costumes to hide her limp, to camouflage pain, and to show her allegiance to the people of Mexico. But beyond that, also to please her, uh, Diego Rivera. And after, this is um, from the on the left. It's Frida Kahlo from 1929, and on the right, a Diego Rivera. It's called "Girl with, Girl with Coral Necklace" from 1926. Again, Frida Kahlo, probably influenced by Diego Rivera, started painting. She did a number of paintings of Mexican children in this rather broad, slightly mural-like style. Um, But I think, I mean, Diego Rivera's um, little Indian girl is very much, I think, he painted a lot of Mexican children, and a lot of them were sort of for the tourist trade. They're kind of cute Mexican children. Frida Kahlo, you feel in this painting that she had a powerful empathy for her subject. Um, and something about that safety pin holding the dress together I think shows her sort of sympathy for this little girl. Carlo um, and Diego Rivera were married in 1929, and on the left you see their wedding photograph. Frida Kahlo is actually smoking, which she is in various of her paintings. Um, her mother, when she got married, said it was like the marriage between an elephant and a dove. (laughs) Frida Kahlo chronicled the marriage, the ups and downs of her marriage, in paint. And the first um, example of that chronicling is the Frida, it's on the right, uh, Frida and Diego Rivera. It's from 1931. She did it in San Francisco where they had gone. They spent most of the early 30s in the United States. Um, Rivera was in San Francisco making a mural for the San Francisco stock exchange, a good thing for a Marxist to do. Um, in any case, I think this painting, even though it's fairly happy, um, shows the, the problems that could, um, that, that could be. Um, she shows Rivera, he's much bigger, he's much, his feet are planted strongly on the ground. He is the great maestro and she is the worshipful wife The body language suggests, I think, Rivera's immense egotism and his unpossessibility. Rivera was an incorrigible philanderer, and Frida Kahlo kind of put up with it most of the time. Um, Some joking about it. Uh, Frida Kahlo, in this painting, extends her arms towards him. She had to play the constant seductress. She said, quote, Being the wife of Diego is the most marvelous thing in the world. I let him play matrimony with other women. Diego is not anybody's husband and never will be, but he is a great comrade. But for all her insistence that Rivera should be free, Frida Kahlo placed her and Diego's clasped hands right in the middle of her painting. In fact, the pivot of her life was the marriage bond. Um, There is a drawing for this Painting, which was done actually in nineteen thirty, so the year before um, she uh, soon after they got married, which is in august nineteen twenty nine uh, she had a therapeutic abortion at three months. The fetus was apparently in the wrong position she said. We could not have a child and I cried inconsolably, but I distracted myself by cooking, dusting the house, sometimes by painting and every day going to accompany Diego on the scaffold. It gave him great pleasure when I arrived with the midday meal in a basket covered with flowers. The um, drawing is very different from the from the painting. She's sort of pulling away from him and she there was a fetus on her belly, but she actually erased it. But if you look Closely at the original, you can see that there was, that she had put it there and then taken it away. So they were in um, the United States in the 30s in San Francisco, Detroit, and New York City. In 1932, as you've seen, they went to Detroit where Diego Rivera was painting his great mural sequence in the Detroit Institute of Arts. On July 4th, Frida Kahlo had that miscarriage very painful and dangerous one, and she ended up in the Henry Ford Hospital, so this is what she painted after being in the hospital. It's from 1932. In Detroit, the pain of miscarriage made Frida Kahlo focus her art on her most personal experience. She began to paint mostly self-portraits, and it was here that she formed her distinctive style based on retablos, but also based on Mexican colonial art and on popular art. Um, here on the right, you see a little play hospital s- scene. There were a bunch of them in the market in Guadalajara that I bought. This one, they're sort of a joke, but they're a little macabre. Um, sometimes, some of them have a, a leg severed, and this one is the heart taken out. Anyway, it says Ultima Lucha, that means the last battle. So Frida Kahlo would have found that sort of funny, but she would have related to that as part of her, some of her bloody subject matter comes from that kind of thing. Um, painting um, the painting, I'm going to go back to the whole one. The, um, the Henry Ford Hospital. It's as it's like a retablo. This time there's no scroll, um, but with the these are all images that were sort of symbols of her miscarriage. That They take the place of the floating holy image in Retablos. The Frida, again, is in a vast empty space, creating that feeling of loneliness. And in the far distance, you can see the Ford's Rouge Plant, where Diego Rivera was busy making studies of industry, of the, the automobile industry, in order to paint his Detroit Institute of Arts mural so that you have the feeling that Diego is far away and occupied with something quite different from what she's occupied with. Um, This nude is interesting in that it is not a nude that's the object of the male gaze, but rather it's a depiction of herself as she felt herself to be. She did not like Detroit. Um, This is self-portrait on the borderline. Um, of Mexico and the United States also painted in Detroit and there's a photograph of showing you more or less the scale and her funny little easel that she set up in the hotel they were in in Detroit. So Mexico is on, the, on Frida's right and the United States with burning the American flag with Ford's smoke um, on, the, on her left. Um, She clearly prefers Mexico, but it doesn't look all that great either, so it seems to be in a state of sort of collapse and decay. Um, Anyway, after losing that child in Detroit, that theme of childlessness recurs often in Frida Kahlo's art. Uh, For example, in Me and My Doll from 1937, uh, here she is again smoking with a kind of ugly-looking doll, nothing like a baby and not even really touching her. It's not an intimate mother-child relationship. Um, She said, painting completed my life. I lost three children. Painting substituted for all of this. I believe work is the best thing. She also had numerous animals. She had many, many dolls, and she had numerous pets, um, dogs, uh, rabbits, parrots, lots of monkeys, and she painted herself with these pets, but I don't think they really substituted for children, and they didn't really alleviate her loneliness. Um, This painting is from 1940, and here's one from 1943, Self-Portrait with Monkeys, from 1943. Roots also from 1943 is one of her I think best paintings. Um, It's a childless woman's dream that her body opens up to give birth to a vine that sends her life blood into the parched Mexican earth. So it's a sort of you can see it's a dream because she's got her pillow but it's it's not it's just a little bit of a nightmare too because this crevice opens up in the Mexican dry land, uh, the crevice, and then at, the, at her feet is a kind of a cavern with a rock that looks almost like a skull. So you have this feeling of slight precariousness of life. Um, Childlessness, I think, also led uh, to an obsession with the theme of fertility, and it reinforced Frida Kahlo's vision of the interconnectedness of all of life. This is Flower of Life on the left, 1944, and Sun and Life um, on the right from 1942. These, both of them, well, so was the painting of herself as with her roots coming out. Um, the plant coming out of her. These are all the hybrids, part human and part plant. You can see that there's both sexual organs of male and female on the flower of life, and then you can see various sexual items inside of those plants behind the sun, which actually looks a lot like Diego Rivera. And since she she often gave the eye of super visibility to Diego Rivera in, in portraits and the only other person that got it was Moses. Um, anyway, they were in New York in 1933, where Diego Rivera was painting his Rockefeller Center mural. You probably all know that he put Lenin in, in it on the right around May of 1933, and he was then fired from Rockefeller Center. And a year later, um, Nelson Rockefeller had it chipped off the wall, which created enormous protests in the art world. But while he was painting his um, big political painting, um, she was busy painting this tiny little painting called My Dress Hangs There. It was sort of her own little political manifesto. Um, She was horrified during the Depression years, seeing how the rich were sipping cocktails and the poor were standing in bread lines. And actually, the bottom part of the painting is... um, a collage of different newspapers. There are bread lines, there's an army doing something, and there are protest movements. Um, they're so small, it's really, really hard to see. Um, she is also sort of spoofing American values. Um, sports, um, with the trophy there, then plumbing, very important in the United States, plumbing, <laughs> and Um, The telephone, you can see just behind the toilet there's a telephone that wire goes in and out of most of the buildings. And then Mae West over on the left. Rivera adored Mae West, so clearly Frida hated her and decided that she was going to burn up over on on the left. Then behind you see Trinity Church on the left, and then in the center of the painting is Federal Hall. They are linked by a ribbon. There's a red dollar sign in the stained glass window of Trinity Church, and then they're linked by this red ribbon, um, and um, she seems to have felt that um, somehow Protestantism and capitalism were closely related, and on the steps of hetero- Federal Hall, she has collaged a graph that says weekly sales in millions, and her sort of anger and, capitalism when everybody's starving. Uh, she did not want to be, she was very homesick for Mexico, and I've always thought that boat in the background was her wish to take off. She pressed Diego to leave, and he finally did. In um, the end of 1933, went back, they went back to Mexico. He didn't want to leave because he felt that the Marxist revolution would take place in an industrial country, and he was furious to be back in Mexico. He had a love affair with Christina, her younger sister, who was probably the person closest to Frida in the world. Um, and Frida, this was one that she did not scoff at. She left Rivera, took an apartment, cut off her hair, stopped wearing the Tehuana dress. Um, and that year, 1934, there are no paintings from that year. The next year, 1935, there are only two paintings. One of them is A Few Small Nips, which is in the show. Um, she, The painting, of course, it isn't a self-portrait, but in a way it is. She's sort of projected her own misery onto another woman's catastrophe. She based the painting on a newspaper article that she read about a man who killed his girlfriend, and then he was taken before a judge, and he said, well, I only gave her a few small nips. Um, so in a way, it, there's a lot of humor here. I mean, she's got a garter, and then there these... Doves with unos cuantos piquetitos, which means a few small nips. Um, and she, Frida Kahlo, and Diego Rivera loved uh, Jose Guadalupe Posada's um, etchings, and Posada did many etchings of men murdering women. They were all sort of news events. So Frida Kahlo has really painted her own sort of broadside. Um, she, her paintings. This is probably the bloodiest painting she ever did. Um, it, their bloodiest at the times in her life when she felt forsaken by Diego Rivera she said about this painting that she needed to paint it because she felt murdered by life she in fact tried to murder the painting, if you look, look when you see the exhibition you'll see that there are stab marks, she stabbed the frame the upper part of the frame um, two years later she was able to paint the pain of this horrible affair that Diego had with her sister in a painting called Memory, 1937. Always, Frida Kahlo paints psychic pains not with facial expression but through bodily wounds. Here, her heart is extracted, as it is in several other paintings. Um, There is a rod going through the place where her heart was, and a cupid on either end, which is sort of the vagaries of love, with ups and downs of love seesawing, with Diego Rivera. Um, she has. Uh, she looks quite helpless with her schoolgirl clothes and her Taiwan dress, and one arm in each, but she has no arms, <laughs> and a broken her foot. She actually had many foot operations during this time, so that's what that bandaged foot is about. I'm showing you just a wonderful photograph of Frida Kahlo by Manuel Alvarez Bravo, the great Mexican photographer who seemed to have caught the idea of the importance of dress to Frida Kahlo. In 1937, oh I just wanted to show you this is the kind of source for Frida Kahlo's bloody paintings if you go to any Mexican church there's usually going to find a saint or Christ in this case, um, all bloody in, in a very, very graphic and grueling kind of image. So, but This is in fact a, a Bolivian uh, 17th century Christ, but you could find similar kinds of things in Mexico, and that was a big source for Frida Kahlo. Um, in 1937, Diego Rivera secured asylum for Trotsky and his wife. He went to the president of Mexico, Cardenas, and and Trotsky was able to come to Mexico, and Frida Kahlo lent him her blue house in Coyoacán. Kahlo and Frida were then living in Sanang Hill, not far away. Um, Frida Kahlo had a brief love affair with Trotsky, and after she s- stopped the love affair, um, she gave him this painting. She made it for him. It's actually dedicated in that little scroll to Trotsky on his birthday. Um, And it's interesting that she painted herself as a sort of, certainly upper-middle-class or even upper-class girl, not any kind of of revolutionary. Um, The source, Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera both loved 19th-century Mexican folk uh, portraiture, especially that of uh, José María Estrada, whose Lady in the Red Dress you see on the right. Rivera also loved it, and that kind of thing, and made many paintings that were influenced by such folk portraiture. In 1938, um, Andre Breton came to Mexico and he was astonished by Frida's work and claimed her for surrealism. Probably the one painting that almost could be said to be surrealistic by Frida Kahlo is this one from that year, that from 1938 when Breton was in Mexico. But it's actually, in, in a way, it's very realistic. It's a bathtub reverie uh, you can see her feet there and her legs and um, about the past and about death. And there's two Fridas on a sponge over here and over there is Frida drowning and her Tijuana dress floating around. Um, Frida, I do not think was this realist. Um, her fantasy is based very much on Mexican popular art. Her art was not about trying to mystify you or give out enigmas. It was very directly and simply based on her life. Frida Kahlo said, I never knew I was a surrealist until Andre Breton came to Mexico and told me I was. I never painted dreams, I painted my own reality. But certainly surrealism helped uh, Frida Kahlo to follow her own fantasy, and it also helped in her career, because Breton's recommendation led to her having an exhibition in 1938 at the Julian Levy Gallery in New York, which is a surrealist-oriented gallery. And then in 1939, Breton organized a big show called Mexique, and he included that, all of Frida Kahlo's paintings from the Julian Levy show. So she went without Rivera both to New York and to um, Paris. And she said she wrote to a lover. She took many lovers um, over the years, among them, as I said, Isamu Noguchi and Trotsky. But Nick Murai, who took many of the photographs in this exhibition, Um, had a love affair with her in 1939, possibly, and probably earlier, too. So she wrote to him from Paris about her opening. She said, there were a lot of people on the day of the opening. Great congratulations to the Chikua, that's her nickname. Among them, a big hug from Juan Miró. Great praises for my painting from from Kandinsky. Congratulations from Picasso and Tongi. And from Breton and from other big cacas of surrealism. <laughs> um, she did actually sell a painting to the Louvre. It's this uh, self-portrait um, which is actually painted on the back of glass. It's that hinter glass um, you know, she paints it on the back of the glass, and it's, it's a very small and very beautiful self-portrait. Rivera was hugely proud that she managed to sell to the Louvre. I'm just looking for water. Um, So she went back to Mexico after Paris. She didn't really like Paris. She felt the only person that worked was Marcel Duchamp, who was a good friend. And and when she got back, things were not good with Rivera. Nobody knows exactly why, could have been political reasons, but he asked her for a divorce. And she was miserable about that. She wrote to Nick Mirai in English. Uh, She said, two weeks ago, we began the divorce. I have no word to tell you how much I've been suffering. Knowing how much I love Diego, you must understand that this troubles will never end in my life. Now I feel so rotten and lonely, it seems to me that nobody in the world has suffered the way I do. Her English wasn't all that good. Um, but of course it will be different in a few months. So this is one of her two large paintings she ever did. It's in the Museum of Modern Art in Mexico City. Um, Actually during this period of her divorce even though she was quite very depressed and very much she had horrible back problems. She was in traction. It was awful. Uh, She painted many of her most powerful self-portraits. I'm just going to show you this one that we saw earlier, self-portrait with thorns, uh, is from the divorce year. Um, it shows that she identified her sufferings with those of Christ. Um, again, she never lets go of her implacable um, calm, and everything is shown by wounds. There's, her blood is dripping from these, from the crown of thorns, is making her bleed. And I have a feeling painting these sort of stoic images of herself actually gave her strength. Um, going back to the um, two Fridas, um, she said that the one on the right wearing the Tijuana dress is the Frida that Diego had loved and the one on the left with a Victorian kind of wedding dress is the Frida that he no longer loved. And in the Tijuana Frida on the, on the right is holding a miniature portrait of Diego Rivera as a child From the frame, a red frame of that miniature uh, springs a vein that goes through both Frida's hearts and that the Victorian Frida tries to stay the flow of blood which originates in Diego unsuccessfully. I suppose it's trying to get rid of love but because the blood keeps dripping and actually it drips on her dress and then some of those flowers down there have turned into blood splotches. Carlo wrote to a friend, a critic, about this um, painting. She said, the fact that I painted myself twice, I think is nothing but the representation of my loneliness. What I mean to say, I resorted to myself. I sought my own help. This is the reason why the two figures are holding hands. There is little more I am able to explain because all the truly lively motives for this painting are without doubt subconscious. I believe the clear object of this painting is the relation between my inner life and Diego. It is probably, even though she's accompanied only by herself, it therefore makes it one of the most lonely paintings ever painted. Self-portrait with cropped hair, which is in the Museum of Modern Art. It's another divorce year painting, Museum of Modern Art in New York. Um, she's taken her unhappiness, but she did actually cut her hair when Rivera divorced her and stopped wearing Tejuana dress. And here she seems to be wearing Diego Rivera's suit. Um, it's a very angry painting, but she's turned her predicament into an illustration for a popular song. And that was related to sort of what Posada did many, many song illustrations. So this song says that she wrote it at the top. She said, Look, if I loved you, it was for your hair. Now that you are bald, I don't love you anymore. So, again, there's humor, but it's a very angry situation here. Um, they, Rivera was extremely concerned about Frida Kahlo's health. He asked her to come to San Francisco to talk to, to see doctors. She went, and he asked her to remarry him. Uh, when she got to San Francisco, he put her into the mural that he was busy painting at the Golden Gate. Um, International Fair, and he said to a journalist who asked him about this painting there's Frida in a Teano dress, and just to the right of her, well, to her left, but to the right of her, is Diego Rivera and holding hands with Paulette Goddard, who he was completely infatuated with, and in fact, left Mexico with her, uh, around the tree of love and life. He said about Frida Kahlo, he told a journalist, Frida Kahlo represents the Mexican artist with a sophisticated European background who has turned to native plastic tradition for inspiration. She personifies the cultural union of the Americas for the South. Now, Paulette Goddard, he was asked about, she represents American girlhood shown in friendly contact with a Mexican man, he said. (laughs) (laughs) Then the journalist asked him, why he was holding hands with Paulette Goddard and he said it means closer (laughs) Pan-Americanism. And actually he he had turned against Trotsky at that point and was for Pan-American unity uh, to fight fascism. So closer Pan-Americanism was accomplished by holding hands with Paulette Goddard. Um, after they remarried on Diego Rivera's birthday in December 1940 um, they returned to Mexico and this is her first self-portrait after the remarriage it's from 1941 it's, she's tried to sort of reaffirm her femininity by taking her taking her cut off hair and making it into kind of a pretzel shape on top of her head but it's a very uncomfortable painting I mean the, the, you feel that, that, that uh, sort of yoke like Aztec necklace is going to choke her, and those huge leaves are going to smother her. Um, The marriage had all of the same problems as before. Uh, Kahlo continued to want to possess uh, Diego Rivera, even though she kept saying he ought to be free. He he couldn't really be married to anyone. Um, And in this painting from 1943, which is in the show, she has painted Rivera on her forehead and sort of trapped him there, as though she wants to hold on to him by painting him there. In 1944, she gave the painting on the left, which is also in the show, uh, to Diego as a anniversary present, and they were in fact separated at that time. Um, it, she wrote on it: uh, "It's called Frida and Diego, 1929 to 1944." Um, 29 being the year they married it shows that her desire to possess him is so extreme that she's actually tried to merge her identity with him in a kind of symbiotic union of half her head and half his but the two sides don't line up. There's a terrible disjunctive ju- disjunction there um, and it's and then there's to keep the two heads together. She had to put this kind of, looks almost like a crown of thorns um, to hold them together. So the marriage bond is kind of a martyrdom. Um, the idea of duality comes up in a lot of Frida Kahlo's paintings. She paints herself twice, sometimes light, sometimes dark. Here it's male, female. She, she was very much interested in the idea of duality and this is a pin or a brooch that she gave to a lover at the end of her life. Um, it's a tiny little thing it's probably that little head from Tlatilco that she had mounted on silver is probably about an inch tall but again it's showing the two faces in one this is another anniversary present from 1947 it's called Ruin it's a drawing Um, again she's merged her identity with Rivera Rivera, but here it's a face that's sort of half Rivera and half Frida Um, she's called it uh, she's written on it um, Deceit Avenue over on the left and then on this kind of monument she wrote ruin house for birds nest for love all for nothing ruin In 1949 Rivera tried to divorce Frida Kahlo again because he was totally in love with Maria Felix a beautiful movie star who you see with him on the left and he was busy painting her portrait that's between them Um, This was another situation where Frida was miserable, she felt doubly betrayed because Rivera and her intimate, intimate friend Maria Felix had both sort of gone off and left her. Um, Again, she sort of pretended to scoff, but her painting on the right from that moment shows her real feelings. It's the one self-portrait in which she almost loses that mask of control. She did, in fact, attempt suicide at this time. Uh, At the end of that year, 1949, Maria Felix dumped Rivera, wouldn't even let him show the portrait in his big exhibition, Um, and he was back with Frida, and she then painted this very sort of desperate vision of marital harmony in which she and Rivera are sustained by a series of love embraces. It's called The Love Embrace of the Universe, the Earth, Mexico, Diego, me, and Senor Zoloto. That's her little dog, her esquinkly uh, dog on her arm. It's in this show. Um, The resolution for Frida of the marriage was that she would play the nurturing mother. She knew that the best way to hold on to Rivera was to indulge him as if he were a baby. In her diary, she said, Women, among them I, would always want to hold him in their arms like a a newborn baby. At every moment, he is my child, my child born every moment, diary from myself. So it should be, I mean, it's, they, are, they are together. She's got him. She's holding on to him. He's not leaving. But there it is. Her breast is cracked open and bleeding, and she is crying. And even Mexico behind her is has the same cracked open breast. Um, after 1949, he didn't attempt to leave her anymore um, because her health deteriorated uh, GREATLY in these years, in the second half of the 40s. Um, the broken column that we saw before is from 1944. It's, she painted, she had something like 30 surgical operations, and she painted her reactions to those operations. Um, and she had many of these corsets. There's one of them in the exhibition, a plaster one that she painted a baby on. Um, and she said that they were a kind of torture, a calvary for her. In this painting, the Mexican earth is kind of cracked open, and that cracking open echoes the cracked open in in Frida Kahlo's torso, she's falling open, and she has replaced her own broken backbone with an ionic column that is broken. the nails driven into her flesh turn her into a kind of Mexican Saint Sebastian, a female Saint Sebastian. She's kind of a Saint Sebastian for an idol, an idol for herself and for others to worship. She's kind of the, the heroic sufferer here. That's her role. And tears dot her cheeks, but she does not flinch as usual. Um, for all her implacable strength, Frida Kahlo does not act, She is acted upon She is the immobilized victim of things done to her body. Yet, um, even though she's a victim, there's this incredible strength in her gaze. In her self-portrait, she is never the passive model for the male onlooker. Instead, she is the object of her own piercing and highly active regard. Thus, the paintings, for all their stasis, shake with life because they embody explosive feeling held in check by steely will. This is just one more painting having to do with, um, a couple more actually, to do with surgery. Um, this is from 1946. She had a spinal fusion in New York in that year. She gave this image of herself, again, being pierced, her, um, herself half-deer, um, uh, to the man that recommended the doctor to her. and Just to show you the close relationship of Frida Kahlo's life and art, she did actually have a pet deer called Garaniso. Another surgery painting is Tree of Hope, also 40, 1946, and she said about it that it was nothing but the result of the damned operation. The damned operation didn't work very well, but Frida didn't take care of herself either. Um, in this painting, Uh, You have Frida the heroic sufferer and Frida the tragic victim, this duality. Uh, It's very much like a retablo or ex-voto in which Frida Kahlo transacts her own salvation. The healthy Frida, the strong one in the Tijuana costume, is holding a flag that says, tree of hope, keep firm. It's the words from a popular song that she loved. Um, In spite of the spinal fusion, her spine continued to collapse, and in 1950 to 51, she was in the hospital for a year, having some seven back operations. Um, after she got out, she gave this painting that you see on the left. It's called Self-Portrait with the Portrait of Dr. Faril to Dr. Faril. There's a photograph of her, do- her surgeon with Frida and Frida's painting that painting. Um, she's clearly saying in the painting that she's painting from her heart, and the pigment is actually the blood from her heart. Um, Again, the painting is like a retablo, but this time with Dr. Faril as the holy image. She said, Dr. Faril saved me. He gave me back the joy of life. She also said, though, that she didn't know if she'd be able to walk again, and that she felt, quote, a desperation that no words can describe. She tried to eradicate that desperation by clinging to her famous alegría, or happiness, and by painting, but her will to live was nearly broken when, in 1953, her right leg was amputated at the knee. In her journal, she made these two images at that time. On the left, she did these two broken foot there and leg. She wrote, feet, what do I need them for if I have wings to fly? And on the right, is is all the way on the right, on this right-hand image, is is Frida falling apart, and she wrote, I am disintegration. In her last year, she painted this Marxism will give health to the sick, 1954. Politics at this point, she became a Stalinist. Um, She was vehement about the whole thing. It was almost like a religion for her. It sort of held her together and it also made a connection with Diego Rivera, who was longing to get back into the Communist Party. He'd been kicked out in 1929. Um, so Kahlo, at this point, wanted to make political art, but she her paintings are always end up being self-referential. This is like a retablo in which Marx, the white-haired bearded man in the sky, enables Frida Kahlo to cast aside her crutches. Um, it's very crudely painted. At this point in her life she could only paint for short periods tied to her wheelchair um, and she was also taking enormous amount of drugs, um, morphine and, every, and Demerol and every other drug um, so that her handling is, no longer has that incredible refinement of her earlier paintings. The last image in her journal is this black angel uh, that you see on the right and this sort of falling apart body on the left. Her last words are, I hope the exit is joyful and I hope never to come back. She committed suicide, almost certainly, uh, from an overdose in July of 1954. She gave for some, probably because she planned to do it, she gave Diego Rivera her anniversary gift to him well before their anniversary which was in August. Um, After she died Diego Rivera gave her house the Blue House in Coyoacan to the people of Mexico um, as a memorial for Frida and he said too late now I realized that the most wonderful part of my love um, of my life had been my love for Frida. In the Frida Kahlo Museum, um, which is a wonderful museum, you should visit it, is this painting um, called Viva la Vida. It's the last painting she did. And she it's, I think, sort of salutes the fullness of life, but also recognizes the imminence of death. In her final days, she wrote Viva la Vida, Long Lived Life on that front um, slice of watermelon. And it's interesting that in this show, Diego Rivera's last painting is a great big still life of watermelon that's in your show. Maybe he was thinking of this painting. Um, In her last terrible months, Frida Kahlo wrote in her journal, I have achieved a lot. I will be able to walk, I will be able to paint, I love Diego more than I love myself. My will is great, my will remains. And I think that will, that force of will of Frida Kahlo's is her chief legacy. It does remain, and to this day, thanks to the story that she told in paint, Frida Kahlo's example of strength in adversity is there to fortify us all. Thank you very much, and I will take questions. Thank you.
1: So, we have microphones. We are recording this to podcast it, and it's nice if everybody can hear the question. Gary, can you put the lights on, please? Thank you. So, I saw a hand over here somewhere. Oh, here's one. This is...
0: It's just a simple question, really. When you refer to the Frida Kahlo Museum, are you referring to the Som? Doris- Almedo collection. No, no, no the the, the house was sort of the chief person who ran the uh, Frida Kahlo museum, and she has a wonderful museum, or she's now dead, but she has a marvelous museum in a little further south in Mexico City. Um, but the Frida Kahlo museum is Frida Kahlo's house where she was born and where she died, and it's sort of run, I think now by the Bank of Mexico. Um, so it's a different museum. But, but Dolores Olmedo, actually all of Dolores Olmedo's paintings that are in this show used to be in the Frida Kahlo Museum, but Dolores Almedo decided that she wanted to make the point that they were her paintings. So she took them out of the Frida Kahlo Museum and put them in her house, and then eventually turned that into a museum. So, any? Okay. okay, I think I'm next. Um, I've read with great interest your book of uh, 1983 and your subsequent book I can't hear. I've read with interest... Can you hear me? Barely. Okay. Your uh, 1983 biography and then your 1991 um, supplemental book with pictures. And I'm just wondering, here we are in 2012, uh, what you... Wish you had said, or wish you hadn't said, those years back. Well, I was—I was telling somebody earlier that, you know, sometimes I think if they came out with another edition, would I change anything? And I don't think I would because that was a piece of my life that's over. (laughs) Um, But the only thing I might change is that I believed that she was Jewish because Diego Rivera said so, and she said so, and. Apparently, according to these scholars in Germany, she wasn't, but she just pretended that she was. So that, I think I would change that fact. Um, but other than that, I think I would leave it alone. <laughs> right. uh, hello, uh, great collection of uh, pictures. I was wondering in total, how many pictures did Frida do over her lifetime uh, that are recorded? and uh, how many of those are gonna be here tonight? How many? Um, I'm not sure how many are in this show, but there are less than 200. I, I would say maybe 180 paintings, something like that. They, but there's a new one that I'd never seen before in this show that seems to belong to the Dolores Almedo Museum, and it looks okay. I mean, there are so many Frida fakes, and I keep being sent images of Frida fakes and they're quite terrible but the one here looks pretty good it's that heart, heart with a cactus and I don't think it's a fake I think it's real um, any other questions first off thank you that was a terrific lecture it was a pleasure to meet you because I also had your book when it first came out in the 80s it was very inspiring um, I had seen a, an exhibit in Arizona some years back and they were her students work and I, I rarely hear, uh, publicly, that she had these private students
1: mm-hmm. who were inspired by her, who spun off and did you know, beautiful work themselves in Mexico. Can you shed some light on that, on some of these uh, yes. individuals were? Yes, she started out
0: teaching at, at a school called La Esmeralda, but she, her health wasn't good enough, so then she took her favorite students, or the ones that loved her. There were about five of them. They, they called themselves Los Fridos. One of them was a girl. But that's okay, <laughs> and they—I've um, interviewed a couple of them, and they totally revere Frida Kahlo. They just love her, and she was a wonderful teacher. She'd take them out um, to the pyramids, and they'd sit around and draw. And she was—and then she'd also drink a lot. And then she had them do a mural in Koyo Khan in a in a wash, pl- a place where washerwomen could wash clothes in a public wash place, um, and. She was a great teacher, apparently. They, they adored her. Um, some of them are quite good painters. There's one called Bustos that's quite good, but yeah, they're not as good as Frida. <laughs> you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. At what point um, in her life was she recognized? Did she start to become recognized um, for an And her work admired. Well, I guess, you know, she didn't have a huge amount of recognition, except amongst friends. Mostly friends bought her work. Um, At one point, Edgar G. Robinson came to Mexico, and Rivera took him into her studio, and he bought some paintings from her. But she she wasn't famous, but she was known because she was Rivera's wife. Partly, I mean, people. For a long while, a lot of Mexicans found her paintings very odd. I mean, they are odd. (laughs) They certainly are odd. You do get used to them. But when I first saw them, I was kind of shocked by them. I'd never seen anything like that before. Um, But I think her fame really developed in the late 70s. But she was well-known enough to be included in a big surrealist show in Mexico in 1940, and in several other shows, and then she finally had a one-person exhibition, and if you've seen the movie, um, in 1953, the year before she died, just before her amputation, she had a sh- Lola Alvarez Bravo, the photographer, gave her a show in her gallery, and Frida was thrilled with that. Um, she was told she wouldn't, shouldn't go to the opening, but she went anyway, with, with her bed, in her bed. Hi, I have uh, two questions. One is, uh, could you tell us about her formal training? Did she have any? And the other question is, uh, I understand that Madonna is a major collector. Could you talk about, Madonna is a major collector, is what I've heard. Could you talk about the extent of her collection? Okay. Um, Her training, well, other than those little brushes and retouching photographs with her father, she worked briefly with a printmaker um, she's supposed to have had an affair with him, um, anyway, um, he, he made very conventional prints so she learned something from him, but she never went to art school, she really is self-taught. And her first paintings, there's one out in the, in the show called um, Portrait of Alicia Gallant and is, they're very awkward and very stylized and quite stiff, but I think they're wonderful. And the second question, <laughs> Madonna. Yes, yeah, she did. She did certainly want to play Frida Kahlo, and she did, and she owns my birth. She owns uh, that self-portrait with monkey that's, that's on the cover of my book. That self-portrait from nineteen forty that I showed you with one monkey. And I don't know if she's bought anything more after that. But those are two fantastic paintings. And apparently. If people don't like the painting of my birth, then she decides she didn't like those people. So it's a talisman for her.
1: Yeah, I would like to ask, how much was the influence of her husband or came from her, these Mexican dresses, Mexican jewelry? I mean, really, uh, this uh, emphasis on the Mexicanidad.
0: I think, you know, in Mexico it's always said, oh, she had no influence from Rivera, but you can see it in the paintings the minute she became involved with him starting in 1939. The painting was completely changed. She starts painting these rather broadly painted, almost mural-like um, images of Mexican Indians, Mexican children. And then uh, there's one, oh, it's in the show, the, my, the the bus, the painting of the bus. That's She began to sort of share his politics, although she was a communist before she married Rivera. But... Um, that painting of the bus about it's really about class structure in Mexico is influenced by Rivera. There's, his he he was there, but then starting in Detroit, when her paintings became so personal and they're small, they're always about her. I think that then she moved away from his influence. Although it was he that said, "Why don't you paint um, images like retablos?" And he, I think, went out with one of his assistants and got the pieces of tin for her to paint on. So he certainly, he loved her painting. He thought she was a better painter painter than he was, or he said so. Um, And he was always wanting people to go and look at her work. In one of the paintings in the exhibit, she signed her name as Frida Diego. Can you just comment on that? Oh, you mean that shell one? Frida Rivera, as opposed to... Oh, the one of the two of them? Yes, she signed... No, she signed her name as Frida Frida Rivera, as opposed to... the wedding portrait one? Uh, I'm not sure which one it was. It was towards the end of the exhibit. Oh. I I didn't notice it on any other ones. I'm not sure which one it is either, and I'm, I'm surprised that she did that. I'm not sure which one it is, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, is it the la- one of the last self-portraits? Oh. Sure it's, not, right? oh. it's interesting, I don't know why.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Unless it was a gift for somebody who, who wanted her to be Diego Rivera's wife, you know, she might have, if it was a portrait destined for somebody who felt that it was more
1: prestigious to have Frida Rivera, that's a possibility, could be. Okay,
0: there... oh wait, it's just one more.
1: Has her work been used in the world of art therapy? I'm, t- I'm sorry? Has her work been used in the world of art therapy, psychological therapy for people? I'm, I'm
0: just, uh... I'm having trouble. You're oh. gonna to have to speak up. I have a loud up. voice. It has has her work, in art oh, uh, I don't know, but I once gave a talk at New York Psychoanalytic. A lot of psychiatrists are very interested in in Frida Kahlo's work, but I don't know whether they've used it in therapy. It might be useful, but it might upset people. So...
1: I'm actually a therapist, (laughs) so I I appreciate that comment. I just want to know how did you get, for lack of a better word, sucked into her work?
0: How did I get involved with Frida? It was, you know, I, I was so lucky. I was my mother was a painter and lived in Mexico, and I was visiting her, and I was already in graduate school, and my teacher who was Max Kozlov, who was also editor of Art Forum. Was there and he said, Why don't you go to this show in Mexico City and write about it for Art Forum and you can get, do it as an independent studies thing for, for your PhD? So I went to the show and as I said, I was pretty shocked by the paintings, but I was also shocked at how good they were and, um, and wrote an article for Art Forum. And then the poetry editor of Harper and Row wrote me a little note saying, why don't you write a biography? So she was taking a real chance because I I'd written some reviews, art reviews and things like that, but I'd never written a book. So that was how it happened.
1: Okay, we'll have two more questions. Okay, here's one. I would like to know now if
0: Frida is more popular than Diego in the art world. I think she is because he's not a cult figure I think he's an equally great painter I love Rivera's work um, and he's a fabulous man but I think Frida Kahlo's has become this creature that can save people in some way you know that she's in, in Texas she's the saint of un, undocumented workers and unmarried mothers you know she's got this quality of, of giving people strength Whereas Rivera's, he's just a painter. I mean, he could change the world with his paintings, but he doesn't sort of hit those emotional chords which have made Frida Kahlo such a popular painter. Okay, one
1: last question. Okay, let me. Hello. I know that Diego, when he made the Blue House, when he gave it to the city of Mexico, he didn't want her washroom opened, her washroom and dressing mm-hmm. room for 50 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. and that it was recently opened. And I was just wondering if you knew why, or you had an opinion on why that was? Well, there were a lot of letters.
0: I, I, there are a tremendous number of letters in, in there. Um, it's interesting because, of course, all her beautiful costumes were there. And I can't imagine why he wouldn't have wanted those to be seen. But maybe it was the personal letters. And I've only seen a few of them. Um, but maybe there were some that had political things that he didn't want to have known. I don't really know, but that's what I'm guessing. Um, and it's a complete treasure trove. I mean, I found, as I said, I'm working on Isamu Noguchi, and I found love letters from Noguchi to Frida in that, they were all in that bathroom.
1: <laughs> so. Oh, I want to thank you so much. I mean, what a fascinating woman and, and what she achieved against great odds. I mean, really, yes. Well, thank you, yes. thank you very much all for coming. Yeah. I I just want to say before you all go, we have two more programs. We have a film on January 9th, which is free, First Come, First Serve. And that's a second screening of Frida Nazarela Viva by Paul LaDuke, who's the director. And then on January 16th, we've partnered with Sotheby's Canada. And they're bringing us Carmen Melian, who's their Latin American expert. And she's going to talk about the market and Frida and Diego. And that will be a fascinating evening, too. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. For additional recordings, as well as information on upcoming programming and events, please visit us online at agio.net
0: slash talks.